Welcome to Hope Beyond the Badge, a podcast that brings awareness, inspiration, and conversation together for first responders, families, and others interested in mental well-being in first response. New episodes weekly with your hosts, Jay Bailey and Linda Kokoros. Jay is a father, a military veteran, worked in the fire service for 18 years, and carries a diagnosis of PTSD. Linda is a mom, a wife, a certified life coach for first responders, and a suicide loss survivor of a first responder. Let's talk about it. Today's guest on the podcast is Dr. Kenneth Texera, or Dr. Tex, as he's more commonly known. Dr. Tex is a professor of psychology at Quincy College. In addition to his work as a professor and many other accomplishments, Dr. Tex runs a veterans fishing team. That's a peer-to-peer support program designed to reduce suicide in the veteran community. Dr. Tex, we're both very excited to talk to you about veterans, about fishing, personality, degrees of suffering, methods to healing, and I'm sure much more. Uh, But before we get into all that, would you please take a moment to tell us and our audience a little bit about yourself, sir? Well, I think that introduction was generous and amazing. I'm Dr. Tex, (laughs) and I'm so psyched to be here with my friends. I've known Jay for years. We met at Quincy College, and we've worked together on projects and research, and he was my student, and now he's going on to amazing things at BU doing uh, licensed clinical social work, so... He's getting he's getting in deep, but um, for me, I'm psyched. We're um, we're doing the vet fishing team since 2010. It's really opened my eyes about peer to peer support and um, just some of the major, I'd say, um, intersections of, of how to help people and, and you know reducing isolation and creating more opportunities for uh, referral into VA systems and just letting people feel like they're a part of a group. So I'm excited to talk about that and suicide and suicide prevention and ways to uh, reach out and get help. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that with us. Can we go back a little bit and into like how, if you want to share with us and our listeners, um, like how did, how did you come up with the, the veterans fishing team? Well, the funny thing is I thought I invented it when I first started doing it, and I was humbled quickly to find out there's so many awesome groups doing exactly what I'm doing and doing it even better. But um, I got into it because I saw a lot of vets that looked like they were having a difficult time. Um, Around 2010 in the drawdown in Iran and uh, the Iraq and Afghanistan theaters, and um, I had students coming back, and I'd talk to them, and I'd say, hey, you know, like, oh, did you deploy, and, you know, were you on the battlefield? And they were like, yeah. And I was, like, thinking to myself, because I had vets when I went to school, like, I went to Cape Cod Community, so there were tons of vets there, and they were my friends, and, but they had been off, um, out of kind of the theater of operations for a long time, and these folks were coming back with, like, a month you know, so they were fresh mm. off the battlefield and just yeah. having a really t- hard time readjusting. So it almost, it really happened by accident. I met um, this one um, guy, uh, Jason, and Jay um, was in Afghanistan, and he was a tail gunner um, in Chinook helicopters. And he did a, uh, he was funny, he was probably the only 
um, student I ever Googled his image because he looked so scary from his ID <laughs> picture. You know, with <laughs> his giant beard. Yeah. And I was like, oh, geez, like, who is this guy? So I'm like, dee, 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 dee. I couldn't find anything really. But um, I was like, I guess I'll be all right. And the first day he doesn't come. And I was like, whew, I think I dodged a bullet, right? Like he's yeah. not coming. And then he comes the next class. And I'm like, oh, geez, here he is. And he's really serious. You know, it's kind of kind of uh, in the corner by himself. And um, like a lot of vets, they like to be able to see windows and doors. And then he came up to me after class and he said, hey, are you from Falmouth? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, I'm from Barnstable, which is our rival town, you know. So I was like, oh, you're from Barnstable, huh? And he goes, I heard you fish. And I was like, yeah, I fish. And he goes, want to see my fishing stuff? And I said, come to my office. So we just showed each other like rods that we had with us. And we started fishing just right behind Cordage Park. Then we you know, we caught a couple fish and enjoyed hanging out. I had a little boat back there, so we took the boat out a couple times. Then he said, you know, we should we should go see our other buddy who had this black service dog. So um, we, we were like, we should take him fishing. He likes to fish. So we go and we fish with him. And he basically told me about all these other fishing organizations like um, Healing Waters, which is a national um, kind of like a franchisee uh, organization that just mm-hmm. does fly fishing and like fine motor skills with vets. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you should start one of those. And I was like, well, why don't we just start one of these? Like we're doing it. And then within a semester, I probably had 12 to 15, you know, former service members or, you know, people that were currently deploying. And we started fishing in every branch and it's just kind of picked up steam over the years. And so as I've hung out with vets, uh, you know, enough, I've learned about, you know, different things about like percentages or percent disability to get resources mm-hmm. and um, had a ton of really cool fishing trips. And I've linked up with all the local um, other fishing teams that take vets fishing too, like um, Rifles to Rods is an awesome one. Vet Angler Charters is uh, more of a regional one where they – basically pay captains to just take vets out so they'll you know reimburse them for gasoline which my friend mark pettit from plymouth charters um helped found and then he you know takes vets all the time too through rifles to rods and different organizations and i met another great person in buzzards bay um who's harold skeleton and uh harold (laughs) basically has a master's in business and he just started a nonprofit, which is uh fish 22 to raise, you know, awareness about obviously 22 service members committing suicide every day. And this was just, I mean, I have a background in psychology. I'm an avid fisherman and trained by some of the best, like, you know, saltwater um, fly fishermen in the world. And I just wanted to give back. And now I just have this awesome crew of friends that we fish together and try to get into local tournaments. And, and the only real thing is, you know, um, like the rule is don't commit suicide or if you're thinking about it, reach out to somebody, you know, don't, don't stay in isolation and reduce isolation, connect fish, take other people, you know, and yeah. giving people the tools to maybe have more fun on the water. But what's happens naturally is just seeing people refer each other for service, mm. you know, like yeah. in, um, you know, I'll never forget the first time one of the guys, um, at Quincy college in Plymouth at the time was having a real hard day. And they were like, oh, where's Jay? And so um, I'm like, I don't know. And even his chemistry teacher was like, you know, where, where are they today? We have a quiz. And I said, well, you know what? Let me, um, let me find out. So I reached out to a couple of vets. He goes, oh, he's up at the pond. 
which is Upper and Lower Sawmill Pond, right behind the Hyundai dealership. And it's sketchy back there. You know, it's just a weird place. But the fishing's pretty good, and it was close. So I drive there on my lunch break. He's there with, like, ten other people. And everyone was just skipping class and going fishing and supporting him. <laughs> and it was, it was awesome. And I called the teacher, and I just said, yeah, I don't think he's coming today. Uh, <laughs> you know? and, uh, he preferred fishing. <laughs> yeah, he just didn't want to be inside and just needed a day where, you know, they were out. And then I started to worry. I was like, is this vet fishing team? Is, like, everyone just going to fail? But people were so supportive, and they did great. But, um, yeah, sometimes people just had days like that where they just needed to be outside and, you know have some people stopping in to see if they were okay. So it almost became just like a drop-in, outdoor, little fishing, peer-to-peer support spot. And it was awesome, you know? And then we've done it, you know, it's gotten, I don't know, cooler because now we fish on boats and do, like, cooler trips and stuff. But we're going to get into that. Oh, I can't wait. It'll be fun. Well, (laughs) I want to go back. You said you had a, um, you know, background in psychology. Mm -hmm. Can we get into that a little bit? Like, share with us, you teach. Mm Mm-hmm. So I, I basically, my, my initial kind of plan was working with older adults. I was working in New York City. I actually worked right near where it was the, the hospital that took in all of the respiratory issues from first responders and not many survivors, unfortunately, for the World Trade Center, St. Vincent's Hospital down in the village in New York. Yeah. And I was working with older people and a lot of end-of-life care and cancer care and cancer patients. And doing a lot of research, trying to figure out how people understood their, like, chances of benefit from being on, like, chemo or doing different experimental therapy for their cancers. And that was all great. And then I was ready to move back home, and I always wanted to be a professor. So I basically was looking for schools as close to the Cape so I could kind of support my family who are getting older, my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. We still live in Falmouth. And um, I have an awesome network for vets out there, too. Is I have a dock, and, you know, there's boats on it, and people let me use their boats to take vets fishing, and it's been awesome. Um, wow. But, yeah, so I started teaching full-time at Quincy College since 2009, and I've gotten opportunities to work with a lot of different groups and, you know, try to work on opiate prevention and work with um, Plymouth Youth Development Council through, like, police and community support. I was research director for Drug Story Theater, trying to test ways to, like, see if their play that they put on with kids in recovery was going to change kids' attitudes about substances and maybe waiting and not, you know, using or picking up until their brains get developed and maybe hopefully not at all, right? Yeah. And um, then, but the the thing that really just kind of happened was working with vets, and that's been really my main passion outside of, you know, just teaching tons of classes and yeah. and um, doing different different little things here and there for, for just trying to help and support different communities. But, um, but yeah, my vets are my favorite, you know, but you, you teach psychology yeah, uh, in, yep. in, Quinc- in, in Quincy and college. Teach, yep. And I also teach at Curry college and mass maritime, just, you know, part-time on the side. Yeah. But yeah, that's, um, that's my main gig. This is a, a fantastic. I can't wait to get into this whole conversation here. Do you want to chime in? I'm wondering, um, so you're the guy that got me excited about psychology. I, I mentioned that to you earlier before we went on. Um, who did that for you? Is mm. there, was it, you know, mm. someone that you came into contact with educationally? Was it, uh, you know, a, a public figure in the world of psychology, like a Carl Jung or something? What, what got you excited about that? I took psych in high school. And when I took it, I was like, I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a clinician. I'm going to get a PhD in c- clinical psychology. And that's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. And I don't know, everyone was like, maybe, 
your grades aren't that good, kid, you know? <laughs> and, uh, but when I went to Cape Cod Community, I found my first mentor in Dee Berlin, who uh, headed the program, and she was half-time, she had her own practice, and then she also ended up running the department. She was from, like, Suffolk, and just these awesome, amazing, kind of semi-retired professors that just had these amazing backgrounds, and the, the psych program there was amazing. Then I went to UMass Amherst, met Susan Whitborn, who, through a crazy chain of events, I ended up becoming her research assistant and started working in Ericksonian like personality development. So Eric Erickson is huge and mm-hmm. uh, developing identity. And I think that's one thing like I noticed with vets um, or people in uniform, when they leave that job, that sense of meaning and purpose and every day being like substantial or significant and then there's after action reports and it's so like detailed and you know where you made a difference and and everything is kind of quantified and and, you know put into like this amazing thing where that's your mission that's your goal that's your life and then when people leave refinding that is challenging and i think also especially for people who are deployed so like the one percent of the one percent it's um, the adrenaline, you know, isn't there. The kind of like that, obviously, the sense of meaning and purpose. But then just kind of feeling isolated because I think for a lot of folks, when you have such a tight-knit brotherhood or sisterhood of people that, you know, you might have fought with or deployed with or, or just, you know, whether people even deployed or not, they could still have PTSD from other events and stuff. That family is gone and it's isolating. So having a place to kind of reconnect is something. And I, and I think creative supporting communities is just one of my talents because I noticed even for your run-of-the-mill college kid that's going to a commuter school, they're seeking community too. So mm-hmm. what what are different ways to connect? So, you know, like having an open mic or doing a podcast or just having a project that puts you in contact with other people so you don't feel so alone can really help build that. Um, in rebranding and, and refining yourself because it takes some time, you know. But um, yeah, I certainly had a ton of ton of awesome mentors. Dancil Macy at St. Vincent's Hospital who taught me about bioethics and working in hospitals and, and end of life care and and then other things like spirituality and healthcare. Those are that's another one of my loves. But um, yeah, I love um, I love really ha- watching people connect to each other and and have a really good time. You know, and in the first few trips, I wasn't sure if it made sense or it worked. But um, mm. I remember taking Seamus out. Yeah. And, um, we, we take him out, and he's like, okay, you know. And he was like, I used to fish, but I haven't really done it in a while. We get out, and I just watched him just shed, like, five years of stress and, like, moments. Mm. And um, what had happened was they wanted to go all the way down to Buzzards Bay, and I'm leaving from Falmouth, and I was like, hey, guys, like, it was uh, him and Wetside, we call uh, my friend Kyle Wetside, because he'd always pick the wet side of the boat, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, small boats, like, you dry yeah. side, wet side, he'd pick the wet side all the time, so we're like, okay, wet side, so we go down to Buzzards Bay, and I go, guys, if we go f- too much farther, we're gonna get, like, the crap kicked out of us on the way back, because it's just blowing, and I had a really small boat at the time, a little 18-foot open boat, and they're like, that's okay. We're Marines. And I'm like, let's go then. So <laughs> go. And, and it was so rough on the way back and sloppy and blowing and we're just getting soaked, but it was fun. We're laughing. And finally we get to this little kind of peaceful cove 
because it had been like 45 or 50 minutes of just like going three miles. It was just so rough. Oh. And uh, so now we're in this peaceful little cove, and um, Seamus like takes his shirt off, and he goes, man, I get why... I get why you're doing this text. He goes, if I can feel this good for one day, yeah. maybe I could feel like this more. And it just kind of snapped open this door of like, you know, there's this glimmer of hope or peace. And how can I do this more? And then once he said that, I was like, all right, I, I guess this is good. You know, like, yeah. like I, I could see how profound it is. Cause it's hard when you're working with people and you're up close, like, is it working? You mm-hmm. know, like, yeah. like, do they get me? Cause I'm not a vet, you know? So yeah. But then it um it kind of like grew from there, you know. That's awesome. When you talk about the things a returning veteran is missing from their life in terms of purpose and camaraderie and all that, um, I I think it's clear to anyone listening how this program that you're talking about would would fill a lot of those gaps. Uh, is this something that is intended to lead to recovery, or is it more to uh, for sustainability until someone uh, like is it a replacement for psychotherapy? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, well, I think with peer-to-peer support, there's a lot of levels to it, right? And, yep. and it could be super formal, kind of overseen by, like, medical professionals, like in a clinical setting. So you could think about it that way. Where you'd probably find peer-to-peer support or where you find it the most is something like Alcoholics Anonymous or mm-hmm. 12-Step Recovery, where there's probably no actual, like, experts from a from like a education standpoint, but then there's these people who might have been sober for 20, 30 years. And, and that group basically reaches out and has connections with each other. Yeah. I would say the, the vet fishing team is more informal like that. And in a lot of ways I've been really careful to kind of be not like the leader of it, but like I'm also, <laughs> it's it's not only hair club, you know. I'm not only the president. I'm also a client, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And like, and and I want to be like in the group as well as like help facilitate, you know, yeah. whatever. But you know what I find, at least for the important stuff that's happening, that I notice, like when people connect, is mm. I don't really have much to do with it. I'm not leading a conversation. I'm just chilling and, and adding the water and, and being a fisherman. And, mm-hmm. of course, if people have psychological questions or they want to know, like, where to get more information or they have a specific question about a certain thing, I'm happy to help. Um, but what I find is is most of it, it seems to be like, oh, hey, I just had an appointment at the VA over here. Oh, who's good for traumatic brain injury, um, I'm having, like, knee problems, lower back pain, ankle stuff. Um, a lot of infantry people, you'll notice they'll have, like, a lot of, like, lower back, leg, ankle, knee kind of issues. Then, you know, a lot of people have TBIs. Um, a lot of the guys, I remember one time fishing with, like, 12 people, and I'm like, oh, man, you know, I wonder how many times, like, you guys were blown up. Was it, like, three or four? And they were, like, try each, you know, and it was, like, we got like, like everyone was just counting how many times they got blown up. And it was like 15, 20, you know, some people in vehicles, some people anti-personnel, like IEDs. And um, some people you could tell by looking and other people you couldn't, you know. But the, the, wow. the thing that was interesting about the whole thing is like, it's really just seeing other people kind of connect and be like, hey, I go mm. to therapy over here and it's okay. Or I have yeah. this much percentage over here if you want to increase your percentage to get better benefits. So like percentage of like um, 
disability because it's a wonky scale in the VA system. So you have to have the right doctor, someone yep. vouching for you, the right ve- um, veteran um, service people that might, you know, be able to help you navigate the system. So one thing that's cool about this thing and has it's grown is now I have a lot more of a referral network. So I have like I know the nurse down in the Long Pond VA, or mm-hmm. I know this doctor at this VA hospital, or I know at least the language, or, you know, just teaching people a really simple trick, which is if someone's going through a hard time, grab their insurance card, whether it's a VA one or Blue Cross or Mass Health or whatever, picking that thing up, flipping over the card and looking at behavioral health number or their like primary contact, call it with them. Because they'll never do it if you don't do it like right now. And then just say, hey, this person's, you know, like just talk to him, make an appointment and then follow up, you know. So it's not magical to be able to support someone. I would never say this would be better than or in lieu of like actual counseling or therapy or medicine. But um, it could be an entry point in one statistic that I recently come across because I've been working on a grant is only about 36% of people who are deployed actually seek any kind of VA help. Mm. And so you have all these folks that are awash, you know, drifting kind of without any support. And a lot of folks kind of have an attitude, well, save it for someone else who really needs it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. But then nobody seeks it. So mm. so just being able to be like, no, just, just call. It's there for you. But I can see how the VA can be daunting. It's a yeah. very big bureaucracy. It's hard to connect. There, I know working on ways that you can just call your own doctor and they'll reimburse so you don't actually even have to go to the VA. Um, other things that I find, too, is just having another vet say, oh, this is actually the desk number of the person who takes my appointments. Call them directly, yeah. and then they can facilitate it. So having a couple levels that are kind of more in, um, and then referring, you know, like the calling a primary care physician and just being like, I'm depressed or anxious, just to get the ball rolling, and then following back up and saying, hey, how'd that appointment go? Did you blow it off? Did you actually go? Mm-hmm. And um, kind of being there to support each other is... is um, pretty critical you know but um yeah I, I just think it's cool because it just gets people kind of in the flow of it and once in a while people will you know drop some heavies on me or be like I really need to go fishing now or my yeah. wife said we have to go fishing <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like never seen a wife do that but you must have been having a freak out at home Let what happens know. what happens when when the likes of those situations happen you know if you look at PTSD there's different There's different kinds of it. You know, people can present with different kind of issues. Some people just isolate. Some people, you know, might turn to substances. Substances could be in all of these different kind of subtypes. Some people are hypervigilant and hyperreactive. And a lot of times, you know, they'll just be explosiveness. You know, maybe, um, and and there's been, thank God, like a lot of my vets are in like the Plymouth area because that's where I taught the most. And we actually have a veteran court that's sympathetic to the under, like needs of a vet that might have had an explosive episode. But someone mm. just freaking out and tearing up a room or, you know, like mm. getting loud or snapping and, and having a hard day. And so just having another person, they can go and be like, I messed up or, yeah. or, or not feel so alone in it. Because I think that mm. that shame that comes with it can yeah. further isolate people. Well, yeah, absolutely. Know? Because there there is, you know, that does 
come with that situation, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, embarrassment, the whole thing that, yeah, this happened to me and it's not really me. But how do you handle it when someone comes to you in that type of a situation? Um, I definitely get fishing with them as soon as possible. <laughs> and I'm like, are you okay? Make sure, like, you know, you don't have to, like, call 911 right now. But yeah. usually it's one of those things where it's like the storm has passed and they just need to, like, kick it with a friend. And, mm. yeah, we'll go fish in, in wherever they're at. So grab a couple fishing rods and meet at their local pond or if they have, you know, the energy or time to come out on the boat or something and just kind of relax and get a break from everything and kind of step back. And then talk about, hey, you know, like, do you have enough services? Is everything, like, going right for you? Or, like, what can we do better if you need to, like, refer to, like, a better, you know, therapist or something like that? Yeah. Um, And usually it's just so people just don't feel like a monster. Yeah. You know? And it's unconditional positive regard. Everybody messes up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So... And, um, and these things are usually fixable, you know, so, so being able to connect with people and have someone just kind of be treated with respect. And, and, um, I think that's the thing that, that I do well, or that people trust me is that I really do love people and I'm a pretty easy person to talk to. So it's like, Hey, you know, I'll tell you a little bit about my story. You tell me a little bit about your story. And then, you know, if I can be there to help you, I'm here. You know? That's how beautiful connections happen, you know. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it's that community, right? Absolutely. I have a. I I want to go back to this guy Seamus. Oh um, yeah. Um, what you? Not not in particularly about Seamus in general, but ba- what you said. You know, watching him took him out on the boat, and basically watched five years of stress just melt away. Like I got goosebumps when you said that because I could like feel like five years of stress like melting <laughs> off this guy that I don't even know yeah. and um what was that like for you to experience that like at, especially at the beginning right that was right at the start it um oh it's so rewarding and and I think the thing was like I was enjoying it too because I think we had just come off something that was pretty adrenaline packed and, and bumpy and then it was like oh, okay now we can relax yeah it's almost like balling your fist really tight and then you get to loosen it so I was yeah. I was in it with him and then um, we all got to kind of chill for a second and then just hit that reflection was really kind of empowering to be like oh wow you know like like it gave me a little bit more maybe fire to want to do more or see what I could do with this you yeah. know um because, I mean, when I first started, I actually talked to one of my buddies, and I was like, oh, you know, maybe this would be a research opportunity, because I'm a scientist, you know, mainly, and then I do some, you know, obviously I'm training counseling and stuff. Yeah. But um, but I had all these ideas, and he goes, man, just chill, don't try to make too much of it, and just reduce isolation, that's it. And mm. so... I think it was cool to see people just connecting. And then over the past few years, what I've been doing is it's interesting. They're in silos. Like it's like the Marines fish with the Marines, Army guys with the Army guys, Navy guys. They'll fish with the Marines more because they, you know, hung out in the same boats and stuff. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, to see the different people from different service, um, service like backgrounds connect, it just feels so good. But, no, it felt amazing. And, and you know what? It feels great every time. And what I try to do is if I'm fishing new people, I try to do it in bursts. So like three to five trips in a shorter period of time, almost like you would see someone going to therapy, right? Like you just don't go like once a year, you Mm kind of need to do it in a little kind of package. 
And if I'm fishing people that I don't know that well and or just trying to gauge like their interest or their skill level, like we might start off at a pond. What's interesting about that is, you know, lures get stuck in trees and you can see someone's like just frustration tolerance and, yeah. you know, like, all right, you know, I'll get it for you, buddy. It's like, oh, no, like they, they I can I think I also hear their dad yelling at him in their head. You know, like, oh, you got my lure stuck in the tree. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, you know, you just <laughs> you just grab another one, you know, and like, it's all good. We'll find it. And uh, or I'll come back here with a you know, little saw and find 20 more of those lures that are up there that I probably lost. But it's um, it's fun. And then you get them out on the water and you get to uh, you get to fish them different ways. But I really. Yeah, I really enjoy the process of it. And most of the fishing groups, the one thing, their attitude is like, well, we want to f- take people fishing, but we want to help as many people as possible. So they're like, we're, everyone gets a, a turn. And I think from a more therapeutic element, one thing I would love for those different groups to kind of change is if you have access to people or they're kind of struggling or just really seeking to connect, do little bursts, and then they'll develop the o- their own skill and, you know, give them a fishing pole or something, like yeah. set them up so that they can go and do it a little bit more on their own. And then they might get into it for a while, yeah. you know, so um, then they can kind of go off and fish on their own. And in some folks, that's just what they want is just, oh, let me just increase my skill and feel a little bit more confident, um, like how to do fishing. And then I'll take my kids more. I'll go with my buddy or, you know, I'll seek this out and make it a hobby for a while. Other folks are like you know, really fishy and want to keep going. You know, they're just like, so I'll fish them as much as I possibly can. And and so it's fun, but I always get new people kind of coming through. And I'm fishing uh, a couple new guys tomorrow and my buddy Jay. So yeah. I have a, like a friend friend and then some new folks uh, that I'm excited that we've been friends on Facebook forever. But, you know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm excited. He's bringing a bunch of tuna rods. So we're going to go try to find tuna out on Still Wagon Bank. Nice. So I haven't even checked the weather because I just don't need that kind of negativity in my life. (laughs) (laughs) But I will. You're just going anyway. Right? We just got to go. So let's get into the the, the meat of the the whole veteran fishing, the program. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, we're talking fishing. You're taking guys out fishing the whole time. Is there a schedule? Now you started off like, you know, at the beginning of... Behind the college, right? There's a, an area where you can go fishing. But now you're going out on boats. Is there a schedule for it? Is there um, how many times a week you go out? The past couple of years, it was fishing Fridays. So we'd like every Friday, I would try to load the boat up and, and grab us, you know, different folks and get out there. Um, that was working pretty well until my wife was like, this is way too much. So now I do it when I can and, you know, have basically. Um, a Facebook group, and then I reach out that way. And then some folks aren't on social media at all, and they're really kind of paranoid about it. So for those folks, I, like, reach out. It'll be like, hey, I'm going out in a week, or I'm going out this day. Are you free? You know, when are you available? What's interesting is my first kind of couple cohorts, they're all having kids now, so it's hard to get them out, (laughs) you know? Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, now it's, like, finding people that, like, might have childcare on a certain day or whatever. So it's, I, it's... It's not completely random at the moment, but it's it's not as frequent as I'd like it to be. But mm-hmm. I also fund the whole operation myself, so I can only do it as much as I can, you know. Yeah. So, um, and it's not that burdensome, but it would be nice to at least get like a little bit more established, so I can feel comfortable about getting like donations or 
you know, making more of a business out of it. So at least I could like offset costs with merch and tax write off, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think the one thing that's cool in that I offer is, you know, the, there's the vet fishing team, but like I said, there's rifles to rods, there's the 22, um, the 22 fish group. And there's so many other kind of local groups, um, warriors on the water. They have like 20 kayaks and they'll take like tons of guys kayaking at the same time and all fish at the same time. Yeah. So um, what I can do is just kind of give them a little bit more, I don't know, feeling like solid because you have a PhD guy behind you in psych. And then I'm also pretty good at getting media attention toward things because of all the other stuff that I do. So, um, you know, I have no problem calling up and getting a magazine or a, you know, a local news person to come and cover it, you know? So, yeah. um, and then also just being there to kind of for a referral and, you know, knowing how to navigate little stuff, you know, that yeah. could come up, but yeah, it's, uh, it's quite a ride. So yeah, I'm going tomorrow this summer. It's more been Tuesday, Thursdays, but usually I fish once a week. You know, and you take the guys out, and and all of them, like you know, there's there's different people, as you said, like now now, you know, from the past, there's people that are having families, right, and kids, and the whole thing. So, how do do all the new ones? And I say you have new ones too. How do they find out about you? Um, I don't know. It's funny. It's like uh, it's probably through the other members mainly, but I'm on um, I'm on Facebook and I have I have all the social medias. So like yeah. I have an Instagram page for it. I have the doctor text page which goes into the veteran fishing team that's open on Facebook. So anyone can go on the veteran fishing team and go on Facebook. It's cool. the uh, The logo is a little. Um, it looks like it looks like a, a reticle in like a scope. But it's a fishing pole looking at the sunset, mm. you know? Yeah. So, like, if you guys see that, I took it. You know, no big <laughs> deal. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, people find me. And then, because what they made it easier to connect different sorts of groups on Facebook, mm -hmm. I have all these other people from different f vet fishing organizations um, that want to connect. And, honestly, if I retired tomorrow and had more time, it, I could be fishing every day. You know, yeah. there's so many people that want to do it or connect. And, and there's there's a tons of other recreational therapy out there, too. So, like, it doesn't have to be fishing. There's people taking folks golfing. They're doing mm -hmm. tournaments, golf tournaments. There's, mm -hmm. there's all sorts of cool stuff. Swimming, paddling. I read one article. People were falconing. Wow. It's <laughs> like, oh, you know, like, go get your, <laughs> you know, your field mice. But, um, yeah, there's all sorts of cool stuff out there. Um, and people are like, well, why don't you do that? And I was like, well, because I don't know how to do that. I know how to fish. So mm -hmm. that's the way I can help. You Absolutely. Know? And, um, and it's to also, like, show people that it's not that hard to just, you know, create a little love and support in your community. If you, you know, have a thing, get a vet or invite a vet or, um, you know, just try to, to make those opportunities happen. And people love to get out, you know. Yeah. So. So, so we're happy on the badge, right? Mm -hmm. And um, you know, we 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 talk about mental health in in first response and veterans too. Are are any of your veterans that you you um, fish with? Um, are any of them first responders? Absolutely. Um, actually, at least half were in fire, right? Mm -hmm. um, a paramedic. Um, I did a big thing last year, and there was a police officer out of Lawrence that 
actually felt kind of de- abandoned by his department because he was um, in an officer-involved, you know, shooting, and he was assaulted. Someone stabbed him um, in the mm. face, and he had to use his, you know, service weapon. And um, then the department kind of was, like, lawyered up and was like, we can't talk to you anymore, so it felt completely abandoned. And we, um, I got to fish with him, and he was a new person that was I was fishing with a bigger group every um, every summer in June after the new moon in in June they have a huge um, uh, like 10 15 boat thing that goes out of uh, Plymouth and so they put him with me and um, wonderful guy obviously had to retire after that whole thing was settled and he got his full retirement and you know exonerated and honored but for the time that that stuff was going on um, it's really challenging when you feel like your department isn't behind you anymore. Yeah, you you're, know? Not, so you're not getting the support. Yeah, mm-hmm. so um, so it was cool to uh, to fish with them. And uh, yeah, so I have a ton of people in uniform. One thing I noticed too, at least for my folks that were in combat, the medics seemed to have a little bit rougher a time. Um, and then a lot of those medics actually become like paramedics, you know, mm-hmm. and will work in like buses yeah. or ambulances and stuff like that mm-hmm. or fire. And the one thing I notice, and I don't know if there's anything to this beyond just my, like, I don't know if anyone's done research on it, but I find that it must be challenging if you compartmentalize battlefield experiences of stuff that was over there. Yeah. Right. And then now you're doing stuff that's here and it's almost a collision of the trauma of both things, mm-hmm. but now it's here too, you know, and, you know, I can't imagine what people see, you know, in just day-to-day operations as a first responder, you know, your first person into some scenes that can be pretty gruesome, and the statistics basically say, so PTSD in normal populations, like, you know, first responders and, and you know, police and, you know, combat folks, don't own it. And I think in some ways, like we talk about PTSD and people in uniform so so together, you know, it can happen with anyone. The average rate of lifetime prevalence of someone with PTSD is about 6 to 12%, hmm. you know, for the average person through a lifetime, right? Which you think, say it's 10, it's a lot of people, right? So you can have some PTSD. But in uh, people in uniform and, you know, law enforcement, police, um, paramedic, it's double. So it'll go, and it can go up to actually 36% if you're in a really kind of hot, um, high danger area. You mm-hmm. know, you could think about, you know, a police officer working narcotics in the inner city or something like that. Yeah. Versus maybe something that might seem a little more relaxed in like a rural town. Um, but even then, you know, you're responding to some things that, you know, you see people on their worst day. You know, mm-hmm. so, so in those cases, um, you know, that's, that's a staggeringly high number of people with PTSD. And then you see the kind of link between the PTSD piece and then isolation, possible substance misuse, or just straight isolation, and then, you know, uh, suicidal ideation, you yeah. know, so that's a, you know, a longer kind of thing. And, you know, my belief is I don't think anyone wants to die, but the problem with mental illness is it's the lie that tells you the world would be better with you not in it, mm. or you just don't have enough gas to keep living with the pain that you're living with, Yeah, you know? And, and so in some ways, um, I think 
the, the shining the light of community or support or just reducing isolation sometimes can be enough, you yeah. know? Um, but yeah, some of the, in, in PTSD, I think between like whether you're in combat or whether you're, you know, um, you know, on a stateside kind of like policing mission or whatever. Um, it's, I mean, PTSD is PTSD, but I think the thing like the triggers and the familiar things that can kind of make it pop off is different for everybody, mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. um, I had one guy, I fished a ton and he's still very much in my life. He actually made our t-shirts. I love him. Um, we call him mech he was mechanized infantry i used to call him tank and he's like it wasn't in a tank i was mechanized infantry we we're cavalry <laughs> and i'm like oh i'm sorry he has nicknames for everybody <laughs> right you gotta have code names so you can tell yeah. better stories right and they they totally actually he let me tell his story at an international storytelling conference and uh he went and then afterward everyone was like oh great story whatever and i saw this one guy who was very perceptive i think he was a vet too go was that the guy you were talking about? And then he comes up and he's like, was that you? And he's like, that was me. And, you know, so I told his story and he recognized him, you know, oh, as wow. like another person in uniform. But um, he couldn't come to class on Tuesdays. And I was like, like he'd come and he'd be super late. And at first I didn't know what was going on. I honestly thought he might have been on opiates or something because he'd come in the doorway. Big, big dude. Like all the tank people or mech people. <laughs> and uh, he was in Bradley's and, uh, you know, anti-personnel fighting vehicles. And um, he couldn't drive by trash on Tuesdays, especially if that trash came out of the mm. garbage can and was on the ground because that's where they'd hide IEDs. So he was, oh wow! Um, he, he'd like drive up to the like garbage, especially on those holidays where you generate a lot of trash and he just couldn't go buy it and would have panic attacks and it took him forever to get to school. And he would like back up and try to find other ways out of the neighborhood and to not cross that kind of threshold. And it took a long time for him to start to get comfortable. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm late. Can I talk to you? And I was like, is this guy going to kill me? And he was like, so sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and because uh, I'm not a big dude, and all these people are bigger and <laughs> weaponized, you know. But um, but he uh, was so sweet, and uh, yeah, a couple times he was like, "Tets, my wife says I have to go fishing." I'm like, "All right, buddy, let's go." Um, but yeah, he's um, he's been an awesome support in my life, and now he's working in healthcare and crushing it, and it's just so cool to see people come. And I mean, initially, and still most of the people that I meet are college students that I've had. So I've had them for a semester mm. or roughly. So I'm getting like the super vets, you know, like people who want to go back to school or better themselves and are really like engaging and stuff already. So, yeah. you know, if you're signing up for college classes, it's not a big stretch to be like, well, let me make an appointment at the VA or make sure we paperwork's all together because some of that stuff kind of goes with each other. So, you know, I've been lucky to have these, like, super vets that are, like, ambassadors that go into the, you know, their communities and in their friend groups and support mm. each other. And they do so much more. And it's just nice to be an ally um, and a resource for folks that, you know, are doing more than I ever will. Like, some of the stories that these guys tell me, like, you know, guy was ready to kill himself at the beach and he knew the person. And then they're calling, like, you know, law enforcement. But it's like, let me talk to him first because I was in his platoon and I know him. And the guy put his gun down and got the support he needed. So they're, they're doing wow. all the work. I'm just adding water, you know, so. Well, I beg to differ, sir. <laughs> I think that you're doing, a l providing a lot of good and a lot of 
you know, help and service to someone who needs it. Otherwise, that guy that said to, hey, my wife thinks that I need to go fishing right now, um, he's benefiting from that. And, and his wife and his family also are benefiting from it. So, yeah, you mm. are doing good. Oh, thank you so much. But oh, you're welcome. They're the, they're the heroes. Thank I just, you. I, lo- I mean, I'm so lucky to just have a group of people I really respect. Trust me. You know, and, and yeah. I get to I get to do this, you know, so it's been um, it, it definitely gives me a ton of meaning and purpose, you know, because I experienced gun violence when I lived in the Bronx and I got home invaded and pistol whipped and it was dicey. You know, it, it got I got it got pretty close to me having my wig split open and um, and I was lucky um, that I hit the safety on the mm. barrel of the gun so he couldn't pull the trigger because he tried to and then it you know you have to take it all apart and put it back together in like a Beretta automatic and um it was wild and then it was it was hard to come back from that so and what was wild is I didn't even really remember that whole scene until I had been kind of doing the vet fishing team thing for like three years and then I had all these flashbacks and I called my friend and I was like holy you know holy mackerel this is what's going on for me and it was interesting because it's almost like you can't even process some of that stuff until you feel safe and safe, safe, yeah. you know? So yeah. then you can start to slowly untangle it and deal with it. And then, you know, going to therapy myself and, mm. and, um, and just looking and, at it a little bit deeper. Yeah. Right. And, and the thing that's interesting too, and I think maybe one reason, like there's just certain habits and stuff I notice in other people that have PTSD, like, I don't know, just how you move in the world. Like, mm. um, you know, I don't like having my back to a door usually, you know. Um, I got you guys covering my back. But, you know, <laughs> so I know you got my six. Yeah. But, like, the um, like how people kind of just, you know, make sure that you're safe or check corners and that hypervigilance that can come with it. And, and, you know, different, you know, places that got dark where substances could be more of an issue. Or like, you know, just isolation in general or that shame or that guilt or survivor guilt, like all those things I, I understand. And, you know, obviously I can understand and intellectualize because of my background and training in psych, but then living through the emotions of it and sifting through it is challenging. And it's nice to be with other people that just kind of get it. Yeah. You know, absolutely. Absolutely. And, um, and then you feel more safe and then you get more well, you yeah. know, so. Yeah. Absolutely, and that creates the the less isolation that you were talking about earlier on, which I love. I mean, you could just focus on that alone. That's the biggest piece, I feel like. Yeah, if you just focus on that alone d- with the, the eliminating isolation, it's just an amazing thing because then it just opens the door for experiencing life again, right? When you're, mm-hmm. when you're isolating, you're not experiencing, you're not living, yeah. you know? And you're not communicating, you're not engaging in anything, and... Yeah, it's amazing. Jay, do you want to chime in? Yeah, just to say, <clears throat> I, I think that um, you're, you're providing an incredible service and you're helping to foster connections that really matter within a community that really matters. Um, it sounds like the connections that happen carry well beyond the boat, right? So when that vulnerable moment happens, there's already a, a that's that peer-to-peer support, right? That's when one member has somebody else that, that they're comfortable reaching out to. Um, and I have no doubt that that reduces suicide. Uh, you've mentioned isolation. Reducing isolation is something that 
certainly would lend itself uh, to reducing suicide, um, <clears throat> which is which is absolutely wonderful. We've also talked about first responders and veterans both being populations or groups, communities that have an increased rate of suicide um, when compared to a baseline of other op- occupations that don't have uh, regular involvement or interaction with trauma. So with, with all that said, um, I'm wondering, what can we do to reduce that suicide rate? Just as a thought experiment, if uh, you have final say, Dr. Tex, uh, no budget constraints, and also no other priorities, right? Because it's easy to be like, well, this would work, but, right? Mm. What's the one thing that would really move that number down? Is there, is there a, a thing? I, um, I think if like the magic wand and this is changing. So it's not as stigmatizing to reach out for help. Um, and, and whether that's mandatory in, in different departments or, you know, or people choose to do it. Um, I remember one thing Quincy college did is they had this sneaky little door that was, had a state police sticker on it. And, and we had a high ranking person in this, uh, trooper, that was also a mental health counselor and he mm. would work with folks and it was completely anonymous. And I would always get to school early and kind of get ready to teach. And I'd see the high and tight haircuts sneaking into that, just seeing that little mm. sni- sticker. And it was like super quiet. And I'm super happy that that was there for folks and that, you know, it was kind of private and quiet and, you know, was its own thing. And, you know, people were kind of offsite to be able to go and get the support they need. But at the same time, it's really sad that people feel like they have to do that. And, yeah. and I think one thing that's intractable in some ways is like, you know, if you're in combat or you're in the mix and being deployed or, or you know, patrol, patrolling whatever, and you say I have PTSD, all these bells are rung, and then it's like you can't do your job, and that's what you want to do. So I feel like the way that policy um, through individual groups or departments – navigate that is important changing the culture that you're not weak for getting support Mm. you know we've you know you didn't you didn't become a police officer or a firefighter by yourself it wasn't just like you know came out of the ashes like a phoenix and now you know how to like blow you've been trained for all these different situations this is just another tool that you know you haven't been trained in yet and so looking at it it's something that everyone could use having a little bit more kind of training in prevention um, mm-hmm. and resilience training. Amazing thing. The U.S. Army kind of got it right in some ways and got it wrong in other ways. But um, they essentially hired one of the biggest people in positive psychology, Marty Seligman, to do this whole project to boost resilience for PTSD in the Army. They do it, spend, I think it was like $18 million creating a program just to boost resiliency. But then they did a quiz at the end to see how, like, ready that fighting group would be. And um, what happens is the lieutenants in that group basically tell the, the rank-and-file, you know, enlisted people, this is what you have to say so that we can go. And so you have this great program, but the implementation isn't, you know, by a neutral party, and they just want to go. So it's mm. like, what do I have to answer for this or that or the other thing so sure. I can work? So. Reducing those kind of barriers at a policy level, more onerous, it's more, you know, 
place specific, but really looking at the culture of being able to receive and get care, encouraging that, you know, showing it like even having therapy or some of those kind of resilient factors built in. Like one thing I see all the time, my kids are doing jujitsu right now. It's a million guys and mostly, you know, police officers doing jujitsu mainly because there's just so many people on the street that know jujitsu, you know, like, so if I don't know any and you know some, you know, it's like, you got to be there. But like, why would that kind of extra training be any different than having a healthy support group or a yoga class or meditation or a fishing group or, you know, some therapy? Um, You know, if you can even just look at like rates of divorce, among people yeah you know it's like yeah there's all these different things that are sort of like the hazards of the job and what are ways that we can just build some muscle or strength to kind of inoculate us or or give us a little bit more of a barrier protection when those things inevitably do happen you know and you see those traumas or you know you get those calls that are you know awful you know and uh remember i was teaching in um i had a lot of paramedics in my classes when i was in new york and i felt a, a kind of closeness to them because I was working you know in a hospital and they were doing like you know healthcare and bringing them bringing us people and um they told me what jumper up jumper down was and I was like what you know what is this and I was like oh a jumper up hasn't jumped yet and I was like okay and then this one person was like sorry I had one of those calls because they work bridges you know Mm -hmm. and like that was kind of their their section and he goes is the first thing we try to do is don't let them take their coat off and I'm like what because once they take their coat off they're ready and it's almost like you know like Mm. you're getting ready to go in the water you know so it's like you know so just little tricks and in them seeing that day in day out day out uh takes a real toll and and it could be different I mean I know like the stress of like people using Narcan you know and they're like oh I had to Narcan the same person like three times Mm. and you know the frustration that can come and um you know, the difficulty working with challenging populations, you know, and anyway, for me, I was working in end of life care. And most of the time, I mean, all of my patients were basically getting ready to pass away. They use the term expire in healthcare. I hate it. You know, it's like milk, you yeah. know, but, but, you know, they're passing away. And so most of the time it wasn't the person that was actively dying. They kind of were driving the ship and doing okay. Mm. But then what's there for the family members too, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I think about isolation and and some of these problems like an onion where, I mean, just for being, say, a police officer's family. I mean, in today's day and age, it's harder to be a police officer. There's a lot more disrespect toward people in uniform that way. And so it's an isolating experience or you're, you know, deploying and your family's deployed and they're hanging out with just other people that are there, you know, loved ones are deployed too. And it can be kind of a, its own little world. And then, so the isolation of just how your family is in that kind of job role. And then you see that when that terminates or that job ends, then it's like, what do we have and where are our connections and, and how do you re kind of group? Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot of pieces. I mean, uh, what they're doing now, which is amazing, is um, the government just appropriated $178 million to groups just like mine that basically are there to do peer-to-peer support. And the big statistic, I think I mentioned it, but only 36% of people that, you know, have combat experience or were deployed actually seek help. Um, now they're saying, well, if you're not going to go to the VA – We'll bring whatever we we can get to you. So if we can create peer-to-peer support groups and do that. And I thought it was like the most 
challenging. I was, I was thinking about doing research or getting grant money like I've done psych research, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, here's PTSD. Can we prove that we lowered PTSD? And that's even too much. You don't have to do all that. All you got to say is this many people engaged in the program. This is how many referrals into healthcare that we got. Yeah. And so it's not, it's not some like crazy abstract thing. And believe me, I'll overcomplicate anything. <laughs> but like that is just the basic simple thing that, yeah, a lot of people just, we can get more people getting into healthcare or connecting in a way that they didn't and um, using more of their services and that's where the kind of money comes. So this um, John Fox grant um, basically will give up to $750,000. You guys should actually even look at going for it. Is um, up to $750,000 a year for three years to do exactly what we're doing, which is educate, you know, bring more kind of resources to the community, create peer-to-peer support networks. And um, it's... It's an amazing thing. So a lot of the stuff that I would wish to do is being done, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, For me personally, like, if I did have, like, no other thing but to do this, I would even think about just getting more money and filtering it into the groups that are already there and then trying to bring, I don't know, a little bit more media support. Like, I'd love to see a fishing show, like Fishing with Vets, and, you know, have people tell their stories. Um, one of my favorite questions to ask vets, um, you could do this with people in uniform. It's just a great way to connect because a lot of people ask kind of the darker questions. Um, but my favorite question is, what are you most proud of from your service? Mm. You know, anchoring that. And in the, the yeah. answers that I get, oh, my God, it's wild. Like um, one of my buddies goes, we had 80%. Um, like their days under fire was amazing, like just like crazy. It's like they were under fire all the time. And their fob, like way out in Afghanistan, their, you know, forward base. And then um, he goes, we had 80% casualties, but I brought everyone home. Mm. And they all lived. Wow. And that was like, that's what I'm most proud of, you know? Because awesome. wow. it's like, you know, everyone thinks about warrior, like firing or like, you know, body count or like how dangerous are you? But it's really about bringing your people home, you yeah. know, in, in that whole thing. And, and so learning that sort of stuff and and thinking about the different kind of ways that you know and anchoring the positive experiences because you know it's not all bad and and in fact like imagine being 18 or 20 there's no bigger adrenaline rush than war Mm -hmm. you know you can't you can't replicate that and and so um you know banging some people up on a boat you know (laughs) or having a peaceful tranquil like beloved stream experience whatever it takes for the people just to kind of get out of their head and out in nature a little bit. It's yeah. great, you know? Yeah. So in in the getting back into the, what Jay, following sort of up on Jay's question, you know, ideally, like, how can we end the stigma, right? If we if we get into, say, the fire, fire departments and police departments and EMTs, like all, all, all of that culture, um, what would you like to see, like, if there was a simple strategy... I know it has to come from above, right? It has to come, and each. What I find the most dif- difficult, even asking this question, is because every department is different, right? They all get sa- trained the same way in the academies, right, when they're there, but then when they go into different departments, the structure is different. And um, but what would you like to see happen, like within departments now? You know, knowing what you know um, about PTSD and trauma and all of that type of stuff. 
what would you like to see make it easier for first responders in general and veterans to be able to seek help? I wonder if some of it might be really looking at the nuts and bolts of like, because a lot of work has been done, but then you wonder how it's implemented, right? Mm. So, so I don't really, I've never like been privy to like a policy manual or, if, you know, this person presents with this or reports to, you know, their commanding officer that they're having like, you know, problems with PTSD. Like what is the, what are the next steps, right? But what I'd hope to see is now it's, all right, let's, let's just deal with some of the smaller stuff first. And maybe you don't even need all that like PTSD label, but let's work on sleep, right? Like let's break down this into smaller workable problems and just work on that stuff. Mm-hmm. So if it's a substance misuse thing, you know, and deal with it as a substance misuse thing. I think, I mean, the, the weight in the label of PTSD is important so people own it and live with it and navigate it. But I think people are also afraid of having that stigma and what it can do to their career. So, well, yeah, so absolutely. how do you, you know, and, and I think some of it would be having really good people that are in power that, or, you know, you report to supervisory staff that are going to say, hey, well, let's just break this into smaller pieces and don't worry about your job until we need to, yeah. you know, for your mm-hmm. own health. So having that that support there, um, you know, and some of it, this is just going to happen over time because younger generations just are way more open and there's a lot of awareness. It's it's us older folks, you know, that mm. that look at, you know, these things as these scary kind of giants on the hillside, like like a label of like, oh, PTSD. But now people are much more likely to report that. So that culture will shift. Um, and you know what? It's You want to start at the top, but you also want to start at the bottom and the middle, you know, for something as big as this. And, and looking at, like, um, you know, how people, other peers would respond to it. And, um, but, yeah, I, I feel like some policy issues, definitely. Having people come in or just even if you have a mandatory fun day or a relaxing day and having different kind of cool activities and stuff to do, you know, to kind of gently say, like, these are ways to deal with stress, you know, and, and finding more help, healthy ways to cope. Because, mm. you know, I think the, the thing that works in the short term, but it's, you know, dangerous in the long term is, you know, mm. elbowing up on a bar or, you know, yeah. grabbing a drink or doing that stuff. And that. Yeah. so mm. like changing the culture of even like how we, we kind of debrief and de-stress over stuff. I love that. I love that you're saying that because a lot of, a lot of, you know, other podcasts that we've spoken in um, or that we've done interviews, um, you know, some, especially police officer, like a police officer would say, oh, there's no way, I mean, I'm going to tell them that I'm struggling over that last call or I'm, I'm, it doesn't sit well with me because they're going to take my gun away from me and if I take my gun away from me, well then, I guess what, I can't do my job. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they refer to us like the rubber gun squad or something, right? Yes, ma'am. Um, so, yeah, that's yeah. that's how they refer to it. And then there's, you know, you know the 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 whole stigma that goes around with that, like why they won't go and share mm. with even another peer about really what's going on with them. There's no way, and um, and because it's like being into them as a police officer, don't show any sign of weakness. Yep. And, um, but really, they're not weak. They're, you know, we, we've said it to over and over again, Jay, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
you're a leader and we want we want our listeners to hear that you're a leader if you go up and speak and, and say uh, I'm not I'm not doing too well over this I need mm. some help and um, I wonder too I'm and I think my assumption in, in a lot of the conversations I've heard about this is kind of like well you know you can't go to your you know your staff or your chain of command making it easier to do it offline with just a primary care physician doctor or therapist mm-hmm. yeah you know and and um, a couple tools, you know, and I, I tell this to my, uh, I teach at Maritime, and they're in a similar position where they might, you know, go out to sea and they're doing long bids at like, you know, six to eight months as engineers or deck kids. I'm like, hey, listen, if you don't feel comfortable talking to the, um, like, command staff, reach out to me. And, and I'll teach you ways that you can use more peer-to-peer support so you can refer other people to. So one thing cool about my job, and I work with people that, you know, might be going into criminal justice or people that are going to do therapy or nurses or doctors or, you know, anything you want to be, retail business people, whatever. One cool trick, um, if you want to find more support, and and I think this is important because um, if, if you don't feel comfortable within your chain of command and what repercussions it could mean, in your professional kind of role or your, you know, future prospects. Yeah. Um, if you just go on psychology today, find a therapist, there's a million. And they take every single different kind of health insurance. So, you know, using your health insurance and then privately going, and as long as you say, you know, you don't say that you're a danger to yourself and others, that information is completely protected. They can't. No one can know, you know, mm. what's going on. So you're safe. And what I like about the find a therapist kind of system is every single therapist is on there. That's how they get most of their clients for, like, stuff, unless you're going directly through an emergency room. So anyone can go on, find a therapist on psychology today, mm-hmm. and then you can look at, do you want a male? Do you want a female? Do you want to just do telehealth and Zoom do it, you know, like in your truck by yourself so no one even knows you're going? Um, Do you, you know, take this kind of insurance? And then you can click every presenting issue that you might have from sleep disturbances, PTSD, substance misuse, anxiety, whether how your relationships are going. If you're in a relationship that's non-traditional, you can find a person for that. Um, Like there's a hundred different kind of things that people will specialize in. And when you go, just imagine the first kind of visit as you interviewing them to see if you trust them enough to get into some of that stuff. And if you don't, pick someone else because you don't have to stick with the first person you find. Yeah, and that's some sometimes the hardest thing. We've spoken with a couple of police officers that had said that, you know, they had went to a therapist and, um, you know, it didn't work out that first time and never went back mm-hmm. to find another one. You know yeah. what I mean? So whoever's listening out there, if you do need some help and you're considering, you know, going to traditional um, therapy, um, don't give up, you know. Yeah, and it's good to talk to someone. I I'm one of them, sort of. So, like, I know a lot of them are just weirdos. There's just like in real life, there's a lot of weirdos, and therapists can be weirdos too. So, if you find someone that you're just like, Ugh. like, I dropped one therapist just because they were too sweaty. Like, I'd shake their <laughs> hand after, and they were just so wet. Yeah. And I was like, I, I'm good. I'm going to try somebody else. This isn't happening for me. So, you know. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> 
This is I, this has been a great conversation, Doctor Tex. I for I believe in the direction of of a lot of your answers. You know, when you talk about stigma uh, being difficult to to implement, but maybe maybe the biggest barrier to overcome. I, I couldn't agree with that more. And um, you know, all those other things I, I think develop uh, develop around that, right? Like like the culture responds to that. Um, you know, once once that stigma is broken down, and the resources will then in turn develop because people do want to help. Um, and I also agree with what you were saying about some of the difficulties that first responders and veterans have reaching out for help. I mean, you know, you, you talk about being afraid to reach out to administration. I mean, if somebody breaks their leg or is otherwise physically injured in the line of duty, there's a process, right? But that process is not uniform or, or clear when someone's dealing with a mental or an emotional injury. Mm. Um, and it is short-sighted to, to think that it doesn't matter in that line of work. If somebody uh, is finds himself in an emotional state, let's say after responding to a motorcycle accident, where they found themselves maybe temporarily unable to drive on the highway. Uh, that person should be getting treatment to overcome what's going on the way that they're responding to that trauma, uh, not burying themselves in shame and further isolating and everything else. So uh, the implementation is is complicated um, for sure, and smashing the stigma, I, I think, uh, should be a priority for anybody looking to to further this conversation in, in the right direction. Mm. Dr. Tex, thank you so much for coming. I can't wait to go fishing tomorrow, We're going fishing man. tomorrow, buddy. And it's great to see you. Thank you. Dr. Tex, thank you so much for coming in thank and uh, you, speaking with us tonight, for sharing a little bit about you, about the veterans fishing team, um, and all of the, the first responders and veterans who you're, you're um, working with and taking fishing. I'm just excited for all of them to be able to um, meet you. How are they going to find you again? They're going to find you on Facebook, yeah, social uh, media. Sure, just um, Veteran Fishing Team on uh, on Facebook or D R T E X. You can find me on Facebook too, and uh, yeah, we can start a conversation there and uh, hopefully get you linked up wherever you are. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing. Doctor Tex has inspired us by sharing his ways of connecting humans to humans that share similar experiences and have common understandings through fishing, otherwise known as peer-to-peer -peer support. Although Dr. Tex is there if or when any of those psychology questions do come up, there's something satisfying to hear him share how he watched five years of stress wash away right there in the waters they were fishing in. It's very clear to us that Dr. Tex is passionate about helping veterans and first responders. Little did they know when they were asked to go out fishing, they'd also be reducing self-isolation, which is a big part of healing and Dr. Tex's program. If you're a veteran or first responder out there listening right now, and you like fishing, this program just might be able to help you. Till next time. Till next time.